there's a reason why these, these, these deer hold up in the swamps. There's a reason. There's a reason why when a lot of South went through those restocking periods, they were pulling deer from swamps. Think about that. Formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the Southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you, you know, it's not that, as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields. You got to dig in, do some real, real work down there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Southeast Whitetail. I'm Mark Haslam, and I uh, am very excited. Got another episode this week. We're live here coming from the Southeast Whitetail Studios in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, got a very special guest in studio today. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's myself. It's just me. Um, it's just me today. Uh, but before you click... Uh, end before you shut this one off and move on to another podcast. I'm going to be covering uh, the buck that I killed two weeks ago. Um, decoyed him in uh, October, I think, 22nd. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, kind of just simply recapping that hunt. Keep it, keep it short and sweet. I'm not going to go too long, but just wanted to kind of share the story of this hunt because uh, it, it, it came together a little bit differently um, than some hunts. So um, I'm just going to get, you know, right in it. Um, you know, we, uh, it, that, that was the weekend of October 22nd and uh, had some friends, my brother and I were there hunting, had some friends up there um, hunting with us. And, um, you know, I, I had already, I had already killed a buck in August, um, in velvet. So, you know, with that being said, I, I wasn't really, you know, I had, I had already scratched the itch of filling a buck deck. Um, and usually if I, if I, if I do that early in the season, I, you know, I will try some different tactics, you know, kind of throw some stuff against the wall, swing for the fences, so to speak, and just see what happens because I'm playing with house money at that point. Um, but you know, this, this year was, 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 was right on par with years past the farm as, as far as activity during the rut, which makes sense because the rut typically happens. I mean, typically it happens, uh, the same time in your local area every single year. It does not matter about the moon temperatures, you know, your, the celestial cycle and your horoscope, none of that matters. It's going to happen every single year about the same time in your local area. And that's been proven by research. Um, 
fact, National Deer Association has been putting, putting, putting some stuff out recently all through this rut season, this breeding season to support that. Um, and that's been the case for years upon years. So any, anyways, I mean, it, where we are in South Carolina, it's, you know, right on the, you know, upper end of the low country area, kind of lower west part of the state. And it never really fails. Usually about the second week, sometime around the 15th to the 17th. Sometime around there, kind of we're starting in, um, going in that third week in, in October, I will, you know, it happens every year. I'll be walking in the woods, typically walking to and from a stand, and you will get that strong, unequivocal smell, that pungent smell of estrus uh, coming from doe urine. Um, and if you've ever bought estrus scent, you know what it smells like. And when you're out in the whitetail woods, you smell it. I mean, it, it is undeniable what it is. And typically when I'm around the woods, walking around, like I said, hunting, I, that's usually when I smell about a 15th, 17th, 18th around in there. And that is usually from what I have seen, that's when our, the first does go into heat, like the first heat cycles are, you know, in place. I'm not a biologist, so I could not tell you what is the percentage of does that, you know, come in first? Is it most of them, the older ones? I, I, I don't know all that. I, I'm actually, as a side note, I'm trying to get a biologist or one to talk about the doe, you know, the, the mother doe, to really kind of talk about what the doe goes through any given calendar year. And this would answer some of those questions. I've been, I've been, I reached out to one and I'm gonna have to reach out to another biologist, see if I can't try to get one, um, on the line. But anyways, um, that's when I have the most, that's when I like to hunt. When those first does hit the estrus cycle. Why? It's because that's when we typically, we typically see and kill uh, the bigger bucks, most of our bucks from that third week in October, that first week in November. The end of October, those last two weeks in October, it's very, very, very electric. Bucks are moving around, and it's not quite full blown on chasing. But we got some bu we got some bucks that are on their feet. We got estrus in the air. There's does. The first does are coming in heat, and they're jacked the hell up, and they're looking for something. Um, <clears throat> as opposed to like I was out there hunting this this past weekend, you know, November fourth and fifth and sixth in that range, and the action we saw was very little extreme, like very, very, very little in fields, fields, food plots, destination food sources were very dry. And we had not been hunting in two weeks from this, from this last weekend where I killed this buck on October 22nd. So there's two weeks of zero hunting pressure, zero human presence. And these, you know, there weren't any does out on, on these fields, which is very, very, very surprising. My theory is that these does have been harassed for about a month on our property. I mean, early November, they've been harassed for the past 30 days by young bucks, bucks that don't know what they're doing. They're starting to kind of get that itch with the pre-rod and they're hanging around does. They're bumping them, they're chasing them. And, and that's pretty, that can be pretty irritating for a doe when she's not receptive. And if you're not familiar with that, if you've ever been around two dogs where maybe one's in heat and one um, is not neutered and the male is, is, is fired up, that female wants nothing to do 
with that buck, I mean, with that dog until she's receptive. And the same things I'm assuming uh, are in play with deer. But anyways, that's when I like to hunt, when those first does go into heat because bucks are up, moving around. Now, right now is a great time to kill a buck too, but it's a lot tighter because deer are shifting and they're not going out in the open. Does aren't going out in the open as much anymore. And it's not because of human presence. Um, even if you're on zero pressure, like we have in the past two weeks is because they're being harassed and the bucks that we're seeing, the mature bucks that we're seeing last weekend on our farm were deep in the woods and it was people climbing and being mobile. And that's, that's why it gets very, very tough this time of year, because what was working the past couple of weeks is not going to work right now. Um, generally speaking, of course, there's outliers and there's, you know, you can't use the words always or never when you're talking about wild, wild game. Um, but going back that that's when I really like to get after bucks is that is those last two weeks of October. Um, and like I said, I had already killed a buck, uh, back in August in velvet. Um, and there was a, there's a large area at our farm that I have been wanting to kill a buck for the past four years really the past four years, the last buck I had killed in that area was going back to 2018. And uh, this area, a section of the farm, this area is, uh, it's very dense. Um, a lot of it was clear cut and, you know, growing up wild, but, um, and we have since kind of mulched some of that down, clear cut some more, but it's just, it's just very dense and the timber's not all that tall. Uh, and there's also a lot of um, creeks, you know, springhead creeks and bottoms. And uh, so a lot of those drainages and, and you know, springhead creeks are thick and they're dense and you, it's very hard to hunt, hunt in. I mean, it's, we would have to go in there with some equipment, with some heavy duty equipment to uh, open things up, which of course we're not going to do. Um, but it's, you know, it's tough hunting. Um, and those bottoms and those wetlands and those creek systems hold a lot of deer. Why is because, well, it's hard to hunt and, uh, it's hard for predators to get in there. It's hard for humans to get in there undetected. I mean, you're surrounded by this natural security system of all this, everything down in the swamp that's just so loud, leaves and water and muck and, and just, you can't move through there and not make noise. So, um, that's been on my goal past number of years of um killing a buck over there and there was a buck over there by the name i dubbed him rick rude um that i was chasing for a couple of years i just never got a hold of and i don't know he's obviously not alive anymore i don't know what happened to him i have no clue um but he was a tough son of a gun to hunt um and i, I never did catch up with him so fast forward uh, or say rewind to this this weekend where i killed this buck and we were having some good action. Um, that night, I actually had a friend of mine who's been hunting with me uh, well over 20 years. He, he, he killed his first deer with me uh, back in 2001, took him hunting, um, nice buck. And uh, been trying to get him on a big buck at our farm for ever since the beginning, past 16, 16 years. And uh, he hunts, comes in about, you know, comes in like one, one week in a year. And for me to try to get someone on a buck, um, for one weekend, which is really four hunts, two afternoons and two mornings at best, that can be pretty challenging. I mean, it's hard for me to get myself on a buck with, you know, any, any, any given weekend. So 
Uh, long story short, I was able to get him um, on some really good deer action. It was a big soybean field that I planted um, this past summer. Um, and it just, I had a tripod set up and some young pine trees on the south end of the field where he had no silhouette whatsoever. He was in pure darkness, excellent concealment, and had a lot of good activity. He had does out there, he had bucks moving around, chasing and bumping does, and this big old eight-point tall, tall racked uh, came out deer, and he drilled it and rolled it right over. And that happened right – he was texting me at the same time I was texting him um, that I uh, – that that we had both that, that, that he had killed and I had killed, which is pretty, that in itself was just pretty damn awesome. Just, just, just the fact that he and I, this was this very old friend of mine. We both killed two, two giant bucks, the same, the same afternoon, the same weekend. That was a lot of fun. My hunt, what I ultimately did was go in one of those areas that's, um, I was hunting around one of those wetland areas. It was a spring-fed creek, um, nice little wetland system, not incredibly wide, but some beavers have dammed it up, and it's a nice little kind of little duck hole in there. And you know, I know a lot of people complain about beavers, but every so often beavers do something for you. They every so often they do something beneficial for you. And what they did, what they've done a long time ago in this springhead creek was just dam it up to where it still flows but it's created a larger swamp and it's created some some areas some safety and um some extra concealment uh for these deer and big bucks hold up in there and that's some where i get some of the biggest bucks some of the oldest just gnarliest bucks are down the swamp why as well there's a reason why they're there's a reason why they're down in there um so I had chose this area of the farm that had not one had not been hunted in a very long time. It was, it was going back, back, I think back in September when it was the last time I was hunted. And I was in this upland area, pine trees, um, Lobolly pines have been thinned before burned a couple of times. And it was just the smallest kind of smaller block that the, the pines were, yeah, it was maybe like a 20 acre block. And on one side, the side that I was up against on that block was the wetland system, was a swamp. And then on the other sides were pretty much, uh, ag, I mean, they're not pretty much, they, they are ag fields. Um, so that block has always, always, always had an insane amount of buck sign in that block. It's just a thin pine stand that we, we burn it, but it just doesn't, we, we need to burn up more and we need to disturb the ground more to get more, you know, native seed, more the native seed bank to start to, to germinate. But deer pass through there. And I think it's because it's smallest area between the swamp and the ag fields. Uh, it is always just riddled with scrapes and rubs, bucks move through there. So that's what I was playing up against. I, 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 in, I had the wind in my favor. And I chose to bust out uh, my my decoy. It's a I, I think it's a carry light. I think that's the brand. I don't know. If they, I don't know if they sell that one anymore. But I've had that for 15, 16 years. I mean, I've had it for a long time. And it's one that is a it's a doe and a buck decoy. You you can take the antlers off, and all of a sudden it's a doe. 
well, um, I use that and, I, you know, I might use that decoy maybe once every, I don't even use that once a year. It's just when the conditions are right and I felt like the conditions were right. Um, it was, it was the perfect time of year to use some scent, to use a doe decoy. Why is because the first does are an estrus and they have these bucks jacked up. Two is because I had the wind in my favor. I was able to position myself a little bit south um, of that wetland swamp where I think the bucks would be coming out of it. So I was, I was, I was um, south of that, wind in my favor, but the wind was blowing in, in, in the direction going out of the swamp. So I was able to position the decoy and some scent um, to where it was blowing down in that swamp. And that's key because if you have a decoy where a buck is going to come out and can't see, it's pointless. If you have scent out there and it's not blowing where you think the deer are coming from, it's pointless. So that was in my favor. And um, that was the hunt. I, I climbed, have a rifle. I, I'd had this one's old, I have one of those old buckshot climbers that uh, faced the tree and uh, went back there, found, found a good tree. Uh, you know, just went back there, winged it. Found a good tree. I tell you what, I, I have got to come up with a better a better system because um walking in with my rifle, my climber, and it's that decoy. That that decoy is just so damn cumbersome. It's loud. It's not heavy, it's just awkward to carry with with all, with all that other stuff. Um, it does break down, but I I've I've always felt like if you start to break it down every time you go to and from in and out of the stand. It's just going to wear down and it's not going to, it, it, the legs won't connect over time. Cause I don't really think it's meant to, it's not very heavy duty. So anyways, drug them in, set them up. And um, pretty quickly, I had a nice little buck, a, a little two-year-old, two-year-old, uh, maybe that's seven point or six point that came in right on top of me. He came right on top of scrape. Uh, checked that and was staring at my decoy, but ultimately just kind of moved on. Um, and it was, this was before the time change. I think it was about, I don't know, getting close to seven o'clock, maybe six, maybe six thirty, And um, it just, you know, I had some great coverage back there. I had some excellent, uh, had some oaks around me, I had some young oaks that, 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 that added some excellent cover around my around my pine trees so I had I had perfect concealment but that meant that I couldn't see every possible scenario and this buck just I mean he just he just stepped out of my lane I never saw him approaching he stepped out of my <clears throat> out in my lane had his head down creeping low you know kind of had his nose up slightly sniffing and he just he was kind of crouched down low, kind of creeping in, and he just looked my direction. Um, you know, somewhat, you know, actually not somewhat broadside, looking my direction. And it was one of those times where you see a buck with with your naked eyes and you just know he's a shooter. I mean, I just saw this antlers way outside the ears tall, and it's like, holy crap, like what's going on? Where this guy come from? And you know, I've said this before, but like when a when a buck steps steps out in front of me, um, it's interesting um, how it works. I, I guess it's just, I mean, obviously it's all mental, but um, it's happened a lot of times. 
it, this is how it pretty much happens these days with, with me. Is like if a buck steps out, you make that split second decision, I'm going to shoot him or not. And then if you're ready to shoot, you, I just instinctually pick up my rifle and put a, just put it right on the vitals and shoot. Like just immediately, like I had no hesitation, not even thinking about bracing and my breath and holding my breath and this and that. You just throw up and shoot, you know. I was bracing against the tree. I wasn't just freehandingly just, you know, throwing out lead, but this is why you practice. And this is why, you know, I put out an article is really um, uh, an opinion piece, I guess, about, you know, rifles, firearms, shooting, practicing, because that's a prime example. You, you practice um, shooting your rifle, your, your, your bow, whatever. And there's times you just got to practice in a quick type shot, just throw up and shoot. Not think about it because I say all that because there's times when like, if it's a doe and a doe comes out, it's kind of milling around and I've, and I'm watching it for 10 minutes before I shoot. A lot of times I can, I can take way too much time. You know, I, I, I'm waiting for the, for a better shot. I'm trying to prop up my right elbow, hold my breath, prop up here, prop up there. And next thing you know, you, you're just overthinking things and you make a bad shot when you've, when you've had all the time in the world. So there is something interesting about that. I'm not saying that everyone should do that. That's just what works for me. And I will say that when I started bow hunting, bow hunting made me a better shot with my rifle. And I tell you why is because at least when I grew up rifle hunting, and I think a lot of people, you know, people, I, I, I think when you're younger, people tell you to aim for the shoulder because you have a little more leeway in case you're off a little bit. You know, you're, if you're hitting the shoulder it's with a high, higher rifle, more than likely you're going to kill the deer if it's kind of square on the shoulder. Well, if you start doing that with your bow, that's not going to work out too well. So with bow hunting, I, I had to, stop myself before releasing the arrow quickly not the shoulder not the shoulder the vitals behind the shoulder and that's it and, and so by by bow hunting for a while it just kind of has trained me that when i'm taking those rifle shots just right in the right in the vitals and that buck i clipped it right in the lung double lung hard and he just rolled over he just he was not dead rolled over um and I was just blown away. I mean, it was just like one of those times where it was just like, holy crap, what just happened? You know, this buck just stepped out. What just happened? And like I said, when I looked at him, just from my eyes, I knew it was a shooter. And when I was finding him in my scope, I just, I, I was putting the crosshairs on the vitals and shooting. Then he falls over. Then he rolls over. And then I'm looking at him, what I can tell from the antlers as he's on the side, white belly towards me. And I'm seeing some, just some, <clears throat> seeing some junk at the bases. And I just, I'm, I'm thinking like, I, this is not, I could tell from that distance, which is about 75 yards. Um, I had that decoy about probably 75, 80 yards. I, I, I've, I've gotten to where I don't really want that decoy on top of me at all. I, I wanted at least 75, 80 yards away from me. Hundreds, maybe a little too much about that. That's sweet spots, maybe 50, 75 yards. So he rolls over, and then I'm looking at him through my scope, and it's like, man, he, he, he's got some junk, and he, and he sure enough did. He had this incredible hook, this three-and-a-half-inch hook um, from, from the backside of his left antler, the base, right behind um, 
the left brow tine, this big old, like just perfectly curved hook, uh, three and a half inches. It's just awesome. Um, and then he, he's, he's got a number of like little knobs and character and just gnarliness on the basis. Two of them are actually an inch and over. So two of them are, are scorable points. So that bug, um, he's, he's a base eight um, with three additional scorable points. So, I mean, some would call him an eight point, some would call him 11 point. I don't know. I call him a badass buck because that buck is just, I mean, that, that's a buck that, you know, and not like, I'm not trying to pat myself on the, on the back or anything or give myself a medal, but like I have been pursuing just an old, nasty, mature swamp buck for a while. And they have whipped, I, I, I have no problem saying this. They have whipped my ass thoroughly the past number of years and i finally got my hands on a on a set of antlers that i killed and wasn't a dead or anything i mean they have absolutely whipped my ass and um there's a reason for it there's a reason why these 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 deer hold up in the swamps there's a reason there's a reason why when a lot of the south went through those restocking periods they were pulling deer from swamps think about that Think about that. The deer were the white tails in the South were just so heavily hit. I mean, we went through a lot of phases in this country going back to the meat market days before the, um, you know, rules and regs and, you know, game seasons were installed and implemented. Um, but the, but, but a lot of the restocking, if there were deer restocked in the South from the South, a lot of them came from swamps and, and, and a lot of the Carolina deer, that were restocked came from Carolina swamps. Why is because that's where they were and that's where people couldn't kill them. And it's, and I'm not saying that I'm the only one to do it. Of course not. I mean, it took me a long time. I mean, I haven't killed one from the swamp in, uh, I haven't killed one from this area in four years. I have, I have killed some deer since then that have come from the swamp, but this was like, this is right there on top of it. And um, so I, I, I was just, just so shocked that it happened um, because sometimes, you know, you, you have these plans and most of the time, I mean, 99 times over hundred, your plan does not work. But then when it does, it's just like, holy crap, it worked, you know? And um, I, I just, it, it was pretty, pretty damn amazing. What was he going to do? Um, he was angling absolutely directly coming a string towards that decoy. Um, I have never let a buck get too incredibly close to that decoy, um, that doe decoy. And it's just like, why would I, unless maybe it was a young buck, but I, you know, typically I just, that's, I, I've never let one um, come in, but I don't use that decoy that much. I mean, I've, I've killed now. Let's see. I think that's my fifth buck fifth or sixth buck, either fifth or sixth with that doe decoy where the buck came in to that decoy, zooming just on a string right to it. And it gets close enough. And I shoot it because I'm, I'm not going to wait. Um, but just in, incredible hunt. Um, and, you know, it, it was, it was pretty interesting because I, I had an article lined up that I pitched to write an article about decoying bucks in the South during the rut to, to, to a meat eater and wanted to hunt. I already had that due date 
And then I did this, killed them. And that's when I finished writing that article. So it was kind of cool to kind of have that play out real time where, Hey, here's an article that I've written about like a how to, and then here it is. I mean, here's the, here's the proof that it does work. It's just, you gotta have the, you gotta have the conditions in place. You can't, you don't want to startle deer. A decoy is not going to work in every situation. It's just got the, those conditions have to be right. The time of year, um, you know, bucks just just jacked up looking for a doe. You got some scent out, and then um, making sure you got the wind in your favor, the wind blowing your scent that scent where you want it to go and capitalizing on it so um that was a lot of fun obviously and um sharing that sharing that hunt with my friend matt he, he shot a very nice buck on top of that i had another friend brennan who uh, brennan lemieux was on this podcast earlier this year in the spring he killed a nice doe from his bow hunting uh, out of a saddle that night that saturday night and the next morning he went right back to that same saddle left on the tree and killed his killed a killer just an absolute killer uh, buck, nice, beautiful, nice three-year-old buck. His his biggest buck to date. This is only his second year hunting, and he's absolutely drilled it with his bow. And that was just incredible hunting. A, a great weekend with my friends up there. Had an awesome time. And so now, what I've done with that buck is I, you know, I I caked them. So I mean, I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna mount that buck. But here's what's happening. I scored him, and. Um, I had an idea what he was going to score, but I didn't quite know exactly. I scored him at 139.78, um, which for, for a base eight point is I, I very – I mean, in my opinion, in my own personal opinion, that's a very nice eight point for the South um, because, you know, eight points can only really get – I mean, even if it's a tall – I mean, I, I – uh, even as like a tall racks, you know, tall antlered eight point, it might get in the mid one forties, but it's gonna be hard to get anywhere close to a one fifty with with an eight point. I mean, of course it can happen, but it's gonna be a big ass eight point. Whereas like a ten point won't, won't really take that much that much more to get you know well above you know in the one forties. So um, I've got them caped and I brought them home to score them with the kids, but now I'm kind of left in a situation where I want the jawbone because I want to age that buck. Um, I didn't pull the jawbone out then because I'm, I, I caked him. And why I really want that jawbone is because that buck was larger. I mean, I was one of the larger bucks I've seen up there. And, and when I say larger, people talk about this all the time. It's like, you know, like what's your biggest buck? You know, what, what's the biggest buck you got on your farm? What's the biggest, big, biggest, 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 largest, whatever. And what they're really saying, and I'm guilty. I mean, I, I say the same thing too, is what they're really saying is what's the largest antlered buck. What's your largest antlered buck you've killed. It's not the, I mean, really what's the biggest, in my opinion, if what the biggest really means is physical size of the entire deer, which to me, should translate to age. Whereas if you had uh, a buck that was exactly 140 inches, that was four. And then you had a buck that was six years old, that was exactly 140 inches, the exact same antlers. The six-year-old should be a bigger buck. It should be the biggest because it's a bigger body, a, a bigger body. I think the skeleton system doesn't stop, finish growing in <clears throat> a buck until maybe five, I think at least four but i think it's five um 
I'm not a biologist. Um, I need, I need to figure that one out. Um, now that I've said it out loud on air. So anyways, 139 is not my largest scoring buck. However, I have a feeling that that bug, that bug is, is at least five, minimum five. He's not four. And I haven't even looked at the jawbone. And I know what you're saying. Well, Mark, you can't, you can't gauge this. You can't judge buck box cover, blah, blah, blah. Well, what I do have is that I've got 16 years of data and intel and just looking at dead bucks at our farm not on trail camera not on the stand but dead bucks in person that we have aged three-year-olds four and five and i have a general understanding about what the size should be what the weight should be like you know the weight of my buck two weeks ago was i I think 187 well if he was 187 late october he was probably well over well over 200 pounds um two months prior in august so if that's the case then he's probably up there you know he's he's not a spring chicken also just the sheer size of his shoulders his legs his body cavity was just significantly more than other bucks we shoot significantly more and we had a three-year-old buck in the in the walking cooler hanging we had a four-year-old buck in that cooler walking hanging and my buck is the you know the carcass hanging and the walking cooler was significantly bigger so what i'm getting at is i really want that jawbone because i have a feeling that when you combine the age of that buck and then the antlers it's going to be the biggest baddest buck i have killed the farm which to me means a lot um because you know the, the buck score 139, and to be honest, uh, people are like, okay, 139, whatever, you know? That's, I mean, <clears throat> for a lot of people, that's not impressive. For a lot of people, they feel like 150 is like the threshold of a deer being awesome or not. You know, it's got to be 150 or close to 160. And it's like, well, why? You know, I, I we, you know, we bust our ass year in and year out up there, blood, sweat, and tears. And, um, you know, if it's, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I like to hunt on age. I like to hunt age. I like to hunt on age and I like to hunt with a story. You know, I mean, if, if that buck would have just stepped out in, in, on a road and I was in my bad boy buggy or walking or just walking, he stepped out and I shot him. It would have been pretty damn cool too. Don't, don't get me wrong, but the story of the hunt and putting myself in that position, because you know, you can do everything you can to try to hunt smart, but at the end of the day, you do need some luck on your side. Um, so that, that's where I'm, that's where I'm, you know, going with that buck. I, I, I want, I want a jawbone. So I know what you're probably thinking, Hey, Mark, just bring them to, to the taxidermist. You're going to get a shoulder mount. You've caked it. It's frozen in your freezer, bring it to a taxidermist and let them take it out. Well, I've done that many, 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 many times. And I'm talking about, ta- I'm talking, I, I can think of four different taxidermists that I use here and there, depending on where I am or, or what, the, or what it is, or what their avail- availability and rarely do I get a jawbone out. I tell them every single time I look at them in the eyes and say, Hey, explain what we're doing. I really need this jawbone. And 
like, for instance, I dropped two deer heads off in August. It was my August buck. And I dropped um, my brother's 10 point from last um, Thanksgiving. It was still in the freezer, dropped it off. And I got one jawbone back from mine. And I did not get his 10 point, which, which thoroughly irritated me, thoroughly, because I would love to know if his buck was four, five, or six. But I, but I, but I don't know that because they didn't get, so I had, it's just, and I get it. They get busy. Um, they got workers helping. They get busy. And I'm probably a very small percentage of people that actually ask for the jawbone. So they're not used to it. It's not standard protocol, but <clears throat> with this, with this particular bug, I would rather, and I've been saying this before, <clears throat> I, might, I might sound crazy, but I would rather extract the jawbone myself and ruin the hide for a shoulder mount, which, which I do, which I do know routinely you can, you can use other, other, other hides for a mount, but I would rather damage the hide, removing that jawbone to have the jawbone to age it and to end up, in, to end up with a European mount, then to drop it off to a taxidermist, get it mounted for incredible shoulder mount and never know the effing age. I would rather have a European mount, know the age um, without question, have it looked at by, you know, some people in the know, biologists, whoever, and age it and have a European mount than to not age it, never see the jawbone and um, have a shoulder mount. And the reason why I didn't pull the jaw open after I killed it before it went lock jawed to look at or, or take a photo is because I, I wanted some photo. I mean, honestly, I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. I was just riding on high. And then I had recently learned that, that, that my good buddy of mine had also killed a buck. So I was just kind of like, let's load up, let's go help him. And that was the last thing on my mind. And then we we're taking some photos. And if you, once you pull that jaw open, it's just going to hang open and everything. And so that's why I didn't do it. But that's my, so my plan now is I, I am toying with the idea about pulling that head of my freezer and just see if I can't get a very sharp knife and just flay that, flay that jawbone out. I mean, I, I take jawbones out all the time with does. I mean, I, I do it all the time, but I cut into the hide and I'm not going to do that, but I think it can be done. I mean, I should say, I think I know it can be done. I just haven't done it yet, but I think I'm going to, because I really want that damn jawbone. Now what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to go all through this, ruin the hide extract the jawbone is come like three and i'm gonna have record this podcast this podcast will be out there um for anyone to listen to and i get the jawbone back and it'll be three no but i i don't i don't think that's gonna happen i i i think at minimum he's five but i would just i would just love to know um i just want to know his age so that's so that's it i mean that's the hunt i mean it, it was um just a just a, uh, just a incredible hunt. I mean, I was just kind of winging it back there. You know, yes, I was winging it, but like I put myself in the best possible scenario to kill a buck. And that's what happened. And that was Saturday night. And I, and I had hunted, um, Friday night and Saturday morning at that point, that Friday night, I tried to get set up, um, right on the edge of a bottom and uh, a pine thicket, lots of oaks. And I just, I went in there and I went in there and 
I didn't find a good setup. I took too long. I was too late finding finding a good setup on the ground. And then I dropped my I dropped my rifle. It, it, I propped up against a tree and it fell down. I was like, oh shit. So I yes, I did shoot my rifle before I went hunting next. Um, and that Saturday morning, I was hunting. If I remember correctly, I was climbing in the timber and I didn't really see much. I think I saw some does. Um I know it was it was uneventful uh, for the most part, but there were a lot of bucks seen that weekend of October twenty second. There were there were um, three three bucks killed, and there should have been two more. There should have been two more killed. So um, that I mean, this has been the case for me for a while. But that time of year, that's when I want to be in the woods. Right now is great, but right now it's just it's just a wild west. I mean, you can have scent, you can have any kind of call. And if a buck is on a doe, it's going to be virtually impossible, in my opinion, to get that buck off the doe. Um, rattling, though, rattling does work. I have most of my luck rattling this time of year, early November, all the way going to like mid-November. I don't know what it is about this time of year, but like Bucks respond to rattling in, in my part of South Carolina right now. Just doing short sequences that last maybe 10, 15 seconds. Ultra short. So short that it's going to – that to me it seems too short. But the longer you do a rattling session, the more time you have to screw something up. And, and, and maybe for those antlers to make a little noise, it just sounds off. So do it short, sweet. Keep them wanting more, get their interest, do it loud. But you also, I like to mimic, mimic like a, a, a pushing. I mean, like if you ever watch a fight, sparring or a fight, it's, it's a lot of leverage. Both bucks should be down low and they're using leverage and they're locking up and they're, and they're staying locked and they're using leverage to push. It's a lot of pushing and, and thrashing around. It's a lot of pushing and twisting. It's not clanging like two swords clanging together. I think that's where some people go wrong as they're just like taking two hands and just bashing them together. You want to make it loud, but you want to just mimic a lot of pushing, a lot of like just kind of twisting and grinding of the antlers. Um, and I like to do, like, it's, like I said, 10, 15 seconds, and maybe, you know, space them out every 10, 15 minutes. And uh, it, 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 it's, um, it's pretty crazy the amount of activity that you can have this time of year. So that's my hunt, man. I mean, I, I, I appreciate everyone listening. And I was just um, blown away by that hunt. It was incredible. And um, I will hopefully maybe get out there sometime soon. We got to get caught up in our doe numbers. Um, you know, we, we are still on some rut action. Um, we, we saw a lot of chasing, heavy chasing deep in the woods last weekend. And then pretty soon later on this month, uh, we should start to have some of our fawn does that were born about six months ago should be hitting their first heat cycle. Um, when they hit about six, 65 pounds and they're pretty good physical uh, status, they can hit sexual maturity. And then all of a sudden, you can have another wave of uh, – it's a continuation of the rut. And also, if you have a, a, a heavy, uh, a high deer density, 
with a lot of does, then you very well might have some does that went into heat, um, you know, back in October that didn't get bred. So I think they're only receptive for like 24, 40 hours, something like that. So if they didn't get bred, they will cycle back through. And if your buck to doe ratio was out of whack, you get way more does and bucks, that is probably going to happen. So, um, you know, it, 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 it just means, you know, more action, but it also means that your fawns are going to be dropped over a longer, longer window, which is not good. And, and I pose this question all the time to, to biologists and, and researchers is what effect does this have on bucks? Meaning that if you have like a one-to-one buck-to-day ratio, the bucks are going to be chasing and breeding for a shorter period. But if you have a butter ratio that's like six to one, you're going to have all kinds of does that are coming to heat and the bucks are going to be jacked up and running harder, running longer and not eating over a long period of time. So I just wonder about the stress level on the body when the rut's over with and that buck's coming out of the rut, trying to put some weight back on when, you know, you look at a one to one ratio or six to one. That six to one ratio buck is probably going to be much, much. Um, it, it's going to be struggling to put the weight back on, and then on top of that, they're dropping their antlers and they're trying to regrow those, regrow that headgear very quickly, and all that is stress on the body. So that's just another reason why I shoot does. We people say it all the time, and just if you want big bucks, shoot does, and that's another reason right there that doesn't, doesn't really get talked about as much. You don't shoot does, you have more does, you have a longer breeding season, and you have bucks that get run down harder. They get run down harder, they lose more weight, they have more stress, and then the, and then that will affect, you know, stress stress affects antlers. The more stress you have, I mean, that, that's, that, that's a, not to go down a rabbit hole, but that's a prime example of why suburban neighborhoods, you know, gated communities. I'm sure people know, I'm sure people can think of a, a, a cell around them. You have a gated community or any, or any kind of residential neighborhood where they don't hunt. That's where you're going to have just big ass bucks because they're stress-free. No one's chasing them. They are around humans, but they're, but they feel safe. They're stress-free and they're, that's when they can really uh, express their genes and what they have. And that's when they can maximize their potential as far as antlers. So that's it. Um, I appreciate everyone listening. I've got another episode coming out later this week. Um, it's, a it's a friend of mine from, uh, from Tennessee and he was in, he and his wife were able to connect on, um, two incredible bucks last week. And he's also a very good follow. He's a, he's a guy to know, and that was a great episode. So we'll get that out later this week. I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, if you can, please leave a rating and review. It greatly helps getting guests. And if you know of a guest, whether it's someone like yourself or someone you know that's just a hunter, someone like me that you know, doesn't have a job now in the outdoor space that just hunts and, and, is, and is good at it or, or knowledgeable, you know, send me their contact information. Or if you know someone or have an idea for me to reach out to a, a potential guest, let me know. Um, and, um, Good luck to everyone out there. And remember, I will see y'all actually later on this week with another episode. And don't forget that conservation is above all.